All right, brothers and sisters, let's take out our Bibles together. If you don't have a Bible, I would encourage you to look at one with me. Uh, you can use the blue Bibles on the pew in front of you. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we'll start in verse 20 here in just a second. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. Now, as we come to this portion of 1 Corinthians 15, the entire chapter is about the resurrection, but today it's particularly about how the resurrection applies to the topic of death. We're going to be talking about death today. Now, ours is a culture of avoiding and putting off death. Avoiding and putting off death. Not just trying not to die. That's not just what I'm talking about. I'm talking about we avoid the topic. We avoid talking about it. We invest billions of dollars to stave it off just a little bit longer. We avoid it. Now, death used to be unavoidable in our communities, in our homes. It used to be very real to everyone. But these days, you can have young children grow up, and for many, many years of their lives, having never really encountered a dead body or anyone who has died, People used to die in homes after being taken care of for long periods of time in homes. Now we've created professionals and professional places to take care of that for us so we don't have to deal with it. So we don't have to get our hands dirty, so to speak. Today, youth culture is idolized to be young and happy and free with death far, far, far away, seemingly never coming. That's idolized in our culture today, especially when you watch our commercials and advertisements for products. The problem is, today, death is still as common as it once was, but no one thinks about it. No one prepares for it. It's like we put it out of our minds. We stick our fingers in our ears and we go, la, 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 la. Everything is fine, everything is fine, everything is fine. Desperately trying to convince ourselves and to avoid having to face up to something that is coming for us all. Yet God's Word tells us in places like Ecclesiastes that it is better to go to a house of mourning than a house of feasting. It's actually better, it's preferable. Ecclesiastes tells us it's important to meditate on the fact that we will all face death. It is the wise person who meditates on death. The foolish person avoids it and self-medicates with distractions of frivolous pleasures. And so today, we're going to look death in the face as much as we can. That's what our text is about. And it's also about how the resurrection of Jesus helps us to understand death. Let's read our text this morning. We're in 1 Corinthians 15. I'll be reading from verse 20 down to verse 34. This is God's word through the Apostle Paul. Paul writes, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, and then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. 
The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. I want you to notice in our text, not only the resurrection, but a few things about death itself. We learned some important facts about death itself this morning from our text, that it's important for us to focus on and to remind ourselves of. Some of these things... You'll say, yeah, that's, that's completely obvious, and yet we need to look it in the face. We need to remind ourselves of these things. One of those facts that comes from our text is that death comes to us all. Death comes to us all. We find this in verses 21 and 22 especially. It says, for as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. He talks about Adam there. By a man came death. Adam, the first man to ever walk the earth, brought death into the world. Before Adam, when God created the world, there was no death. And then he creates Adam and there's no death before the first sin. But remember what God said to Adam when he was in the garden. God puts Adam in the garden and he said, Adam, there is one tree. In the midst of the garden, which you are forbidden to eat from. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God says the words, Genesis 2. In the day that you eat of it, what? You will surely die. In the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Interestingly enough, Adam and Eve listen to the voice of the serpent, Satan. They take from the forbidden tree. They take the fruit and they eat of it. But they do not immediately die. Why is that? Well, it's because God didn't mean you will immediately die that day. What he meant was you will be prone to death now. In the day that you eat of it, you will become mortal. Now all of a sudden death is a part of our existence. And through Adam came death so that every human being after Adam dies. Except for there are a couple of exceptions in the Old Testament. People who God took away without them ever experiencing death. Fascinating to read about. But this applies to every single human being. Those are just rare, 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 the rarest of rare exceptions to the rule. There's no running away from death, right? There's no running away from it. There's no escaping it. It is certain. It is coming for us all unless we live to see the day where Jesus returns. You see, every now and then there'll be an athlete that plays longer than anyone has before. And you begin to think, Father Time is not catching up with this guy. 
right? A few years ago in the, the NBA, I watch a lot of basketball. A few years ago in the NBA, there was Tim Duncan on the San Antonio Spurs, and he just kept playing, and he was still good, even when he was old. And everybody's like, maybe he just won't get old. Maybe he's an alien, right? And then you've got Tom Brady today. Tom Brady's just playing football longer than anyone has played football, especially at the level he's playing. But even for guys like Tim Duncan and Tom Brady, eventually old age creeps up on every one of us. You can't outrun father time. You can't outrun death. Even with all the billions of dollars that we invest to stave off death, even with all the ICUs, the intensive care units out there, death is undefeated. Death is undefeated. Well, there was this one time, but we'll get into that here in just a moment. Death is undefeated. It comes for us all. No one is so important or powerful that they will not die. And when they do, life will go on without them. We need to think about this in our own life, right? There will come a day when you will die. And guess what will happen after you die? Life will roll right on, right? Think about your family members and who you remember in your family, right? I know my parents, of course, and I, I knew my grandparents and still have one still alive. And I, I knew one of my great-grandparents, but beyond that, I didn't know any of my relatives. So it only took a few generations for me not to even know who my relatives were, not to even remember their names. There is a sense in which we pass away and life rolls right on without us. Remember Moses. Moses was the greatest figure in the Old Testament, the man who was closest to God. He led the Israelites. He spoke to God face to face. He received the law and the Ten Commandments himself, right? But God does not let him go into the promised land. He dies on the top of a mountain, seeing it from afar. Then Joshua leads them into the promised land. And guess what happens after Moses dies? Joshua picks up and they move right along. Why? Because it's not about Moses. It's not about people. It's about God and his plan and his glory. Death comes for us all. And we cannot do anything about it. We pour so much money into it to stave it off, but everyone will die. Matt McCullough wrote a wonderful book called Remember Death. And in that book he writes, Modern medicine is to death what a comb over is to a balding scalp. It's just prolonging the inevitable, right? That's all we're doing. And Paul says in verse 32, if there's no resurrection, then death is just the end. Look at verse 32. If there's no resurrection, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. So if there's no resurrection, death is the end, right? Death is the end of all things. Tomorrow we die, so we might as well just focus on the here and now, get what you can while you can. But we also learn from our text that death is not the end. Death is not the end, brothers and sisters. Now, this is interesting because even non-Christians, even people who are not religious at all, sense this. And you can tell they do. Everyone, every human being senses death is not the end. If you're, if you're not a Christian this morning, if you're with us today and you're not a Christian, first of all, let me thank you for being with us. Thank you for coming and to hear God's word. But do you not sense that death is not the end? Even if you're not a believer in the Bible, death is not the end. We all have a sense that life goes on after death. There, there is something after death. People talk about it in all kinds of ways. They might be misinformed on some of the details, but everyone senses death is not the end. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, we read, He, God, has set eternity in the hearts of men. 
He's written that on our hearts so that we don't even have to have the Bible to understand. We will go on into eternity. Think about other religions. In other religions, they pray to their dead ancestors. Even non-Christians talk about their loved ones as if they are looking down on them or feeling like they are still with them. We even see people performing rituals on behalf of the dead. And in Paul's day, people were doing just the same, performing rituals on behalf of the dead. They were doing things that didn't actually make much sense, but they were doing it because they believed that death is not the end. Look at verse 29. Verse 29 is often a very hard verse for people to understand, but it's actually not that tricky. Verse 29, he says, Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? So there was this practice back in Paul's day where people would get baptized on behalf of a dead person, presumably thinking that their baptism, while they were still alive, would somehow affect that person's salvation or that person's uh, place where they would spend eternity. Now, that's not biblical. That's not true. It's emphatically not true. Right? We don't get baptized on behalf of dead people. Paul is not endorsing this. What Paul's doing is he's making a comment that it happened. Right? It was happening. And he's saying... Why would people do this if they didn't know, if they didn't believe there was a resurrection coming at the end, right? He's just making a comment on a, you know, pretty much wacky trend, and he's not endorsing it. He's not saying it's biblical. He's just saying, why would people do that? Why would people do that unless they had a sense that there was something after death, that the resurrection is coming? It shows that people knew inherently they believed in the resurrection. They believed that death was not the end. Verse 20 also kind of gives us a hint of this. In verse 20, we read that death is like falling asleep. The end of verse 20, it says, Christ is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Fallen asleep. Paul uses this language in 1 Corinthians multiple times, that people who are dead have fallen asleep. You see, for Christians, death is like going to sleep. For Christians, death is like going to sleep. You close your eyes for the last time, and then you wake up and you're home with Christ. That's death for the Christian. You go to a funeral visitation and you see that body laying in that casket. How often do our children make a comment kind of like, well, it just looks like they've fallen asleep. It just looks like they're, they're sleeping, right? We see them there and it really does. It just looks like they're sleeping. Because death is, is like that for the Christian. It's a, a proper metaphor It's like falling asleep. Death is not something to fear if you are in Christ. Do you fear falling asleep? Of course you don't, right? We just close our eyes. I'll wake up when I wake up. We don't fear falling asleep. Well, for the Christian, you don't have to fear death either. Hebrews 2.15 tells us Jesus' death delivered all of those who were enslaved to the fear of death. And so just one simple question this morning. Are you ready for death? Are you ready for it this morning? It's going to happen to us all. We don't know when. Are you ready? As Christians, we do not fear death because we know what's on the other side of death. Let's go back once more to verse 20, where it says, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, what's that mean? First fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Well, in Colossians, Paul says it in kind of a different way. Colossians 1 Paul says Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead. The firstborn from among the dead. Now, what's that mean? Well, it's Jesus is the first one 
in, in, in order. He's the first one to rise, never to die again. Now, other people in the Bible rose from the dead. Jesus rose people from the dead before he himself died and rose again. In the Old Testament, there were even a couple people who were raised from the dead. But all of those people were raised to die again. Right? All of those people would die again. Think about Lazarus. Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus had to die again. Right? He had to die twice. That's unfortunate. But Jesus is the first one to rise and to never die again. He's the first fruits, the firstborn from among the dead. And so we're going we're gonna to be raised in the same way. Verse 23, it talks about each one in his own order. Right? You will be raised from the dead. But Christ went first. So in a way, Paul's saying, wait your turn. You'll get your turn. Christ went first. He's the first one to be raised from the dead, never to die again. Verse 22 says, as in Adam all die, right? Through Adam, everyone's going to die. Everyone experiences death. Verse 22, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Death is not the end. We are raised after death when Christ returns. Christ, the first fruits, and then it says, verse 23, at his coming, those who belong to Christ. So that's when you get resurrected. That's when your body gets resurrected, at the coming of Christ, whenever that happens. Maybe it'll happen in our lifetimes. Maybe it won't happen for another thousands of years. But when Christ comes, that's when the dead are raised. That's when we will be resurrected. Now, we also learn from this text that death, in the end, will be destroyed. Death will be destroyed. Look at verses 25 and 26. There it says, For he, Christ, must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. He must reign until all enemies are under his feet. Interestingly enough, we go on to read that Christ will reign until all those enemies are under his feet, and then he will hand back the kingdom to his Father. It's a really interesting transaction there. Jesus subdues all enemies, and then he takes the kingdom, he hands it back to the Father, so that it says God may be all in all, and then Jesus himself is also in subjection to the Father. But it says he will reign until all enemies are under his feet. That means Christ is reigning now. It doesn't mean he will reign in the future. He will, but he's reigning now. The reign is not just future, it's present The kingdom of Christ is now. He is reigning right now, but he will reign until every enemy is under his feet. And there is a last enemy to be destroyed, and that enemy is death. And when the last one is destroyed, then all enemies will be under his feet. Death is the last enemy to be destroyed. Now it's interesting, verse 26 right there says a couple of things that we need to point out. Number one... It says death is an enemy. Death is an enemy, not just of Christ, but of all. Death is our enemy. Don't ever forget that. Death is an enemy. Even though we do not have to fear death, it is not something we welcome. It is not something we embrace. You should not embrace death. We don't act 100% happy at funerals, and we shouldn't. Now, I understand there is a kind of joy... That if a person was a believer, especially if that person was suffering for a long time, there's a kind of joy where that person is not suffering any longer. They're with Christ. We're happy about that. But we're not 100% happy at funerals, and we shouldn't be. It is especially Christian to mourn at funerals, to grieve over death. 
to rage against death, to hate it. That's especially Christian. Death is an enemy. It's an intruder into this world. Before Adam and Eve sinned, there was no death. Death came through sin. It's the consequence of sin. Death is an enemy. We don't grieve as those who have no hope, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, but we do grieve, right? We do grieve. It's not time to just celebrate when someone dies. Yes, I understand there's a celebration of their life aspect to it, but we're not 100% happy. We grieve for the loss that should never have been because of the entrance of sin into the world. Death is an enemy. Death is an intruder. And one day this enemy will be destroyed. We long for the day, we look forward to the day where death will be destroyed. Now, some people will read this and say, wait a second, hasn't death already been destroyed? What about the cross? Hasn't death already been destroyed? There's even a verse in Hebrews 2 that that might suggest that somehow death was destroyed at the cross. Let me read you Hebrews 2.14, but I'm intentionally reading from the New American Standard Bible here uh, because the, the translation's better in the New American Standard Bible, I believe, which says, Hebrews 2.14, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, Jesus, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil. Now, in my ESV, that'll say that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death. But we know that Satan hasn't been destroyed completely yet. Satan is still active. Satan is still tempting. Satan is still deceiving, right? Satan will one day be destroyed and thrown, it says, Revelation says, into the lake of fire for all eternity. Satan will not be annihilated. We need to know this. This is important. Satan will not ultimately be annihilated. And Satan will not rule over hell for all eternity. That is not what happens. In the end, hell is created not just for those who refused to put their trust in Jesus and refused to come to God, but also for Satan and his angels that rebelled with him to be there being tortured for all eternity. It's proper justice, not just on human beings, on Satan himself, right? But that verse in Hebrews 2 says, Jesus' death rendered powerless the one who had the power of death. Satan's been handcuffed, so to speak. Now the gospel is going out, and people are leaving the kingdom of darkness and coming into the kingdom of Jesus of God's Son, of the Christ. They're coming into this kingdom, and Satan can't do anything about it. He's trying all he can. He's like a wounded animal who knows his end is sure, and he's dangerous. Sure, yeah. But he can't do anything about people coming to Christ, which is why we've got to get God's Word out. We've got to help people come to Jesus, because Jesus has rendered Satan powerless. Later in 1 Corinthians 15, down in verses uh, 55 and following, you'll see that the sting and the victory of death have already been taken away. And so people still die. People still die, of course. Death hasn't been taken away. Death hasn't been destroyed yet. But in the end, it will be. In the end, death itself will be undone. In the end, death will be undone. My favorite hymn of all time is Crown Him with Many Crowns. And one of the verses says of Jesus... Who died eternal life to bring and lives that death may die. Love that line. And so now, instead of fearing death, if you're a Christian today, instead of fearing death, we see it as a path. Death is a path. 
right? Death is a path to greater joy and peace. Death is a going home. Death is a laying aside of all the suffering and sin of the world. A laying aside of all the suffering and sin of this body. In Philippians 1 verse 21, Paul says, For me, to live is Christ and to die is what? Gain. To die is gain. I gain when I die. Death itself is an enemy, but when we go through death on the other side, it's gain. John Wesley once said, Our people die well. What he meant was Christians. People who trust in the Lord, we die well. In their dying moments, those with hope in Christ provide a wonderful testimony to His power and His grace and the hope that He gives. As death approaches, you see what people are hoping in. And you see if they have hope or not. We read in John 5 that there will be no more death on the other side of the resurrection. But listen to this aspect of it in John chapter 5, verses 28 and following. It says, Do not marvel at this, this is the words of Jesus, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and come out. Now watch this. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. See, in the end, in the resurrection... All who have died will be resurrected. Not just Christians. Not just those who are in Christ. Everyone will be resurrected. And everyone will be given a body that will never die again. That cannot die again. But what that means is, if you're going to heaven, it's wonderful news. Your body will never die again. Wonderful news if you're going to heaven. If you're going to hell, it's it's the worst news there is. You've given a body that will never die again that cannot die again. We, we studied the book of Hebrews this morning in our Sunday school class, and we noticed the, the, the juxtaposition, the contrast between heaven, which is called God's promised rest, enter into God's promised rest. He contrasts that, the Hebrew writer does. He contrasts that to hell, which is a place of no rest. The promised rest versus no rest. No rest, day or night, it says, Revelation chapter 14, I believe it is. No rest, day or night. In the Garden of Eden, think about Adam and Eve. In the Garden of Eden, at the beginning of the Bible, at the beginning of history, when Adam and Eve sinned, God kicked them out of the Garden. They no longer could be in the presence of God like they were. Because of their sin, our sin separates us from God, right? They were kicked out of the garden, but God put an angel at the edge of the garden, it says, with a flaming sword going back and forth. But what was the reason? Why did he put an angel at the edge of the garden with a flaming sword? It says to guard the way back to the what? The tree of life. There were two prominent trees in the Garden of Eden. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the one that was forbidden, and the tree of life. The tree of life was there for immortality. Access to the tree of life gave them immortality. And then they were kicked out of the garden. The angel with the flaming sword is guarding the way back so that no one, from that point on, no one could get back to the tree of life. Everyone dies. Everyone will die. No one can get back to the tree of life. Does it still exist on this earth? We have no idea. God could have just you know, up and removed it. Or God could have it in a place where no one can get to. 
Every time you get to it, it's like your mind goes somewhere else and you just walk somewhere else. It's, it's in a secret, hidden way that no one can find. We don't know. We really don't know. And you can speculate on that, but it doesn't matter. The point is, we all die. No one has access to the tree of life anymore until, until eternity. Because in the end, Revelation 22, the last chapter in your Bibles, tells us that we will once again have access to the tree of life. The tree of life. Which means we will live forever. We will live forever in eternity in paradise with God if we die in Christ. Are you ready for it? Are you ready? If you died today, do you know that you're dying in Christ? Or do you not know? Have you not given your life to Him? Have you been baptized into His name? Is He your Lord and Savior? Because if you die in Christ, that's what awaits you. But if you don't die in Christ, there's no more chance. There's no second chance. What awaits you is a resurrection, but it's a resurrection to judgment and torment for all eternity. Are you ready for this? I want to close with this in verse 31. Verse 31, Paul is kind of saying, until then, until that day, we die every day. Notice what Paul says in verse 31. By my pride in you, which I have in Jesus Christ our Lord, I die every day. Until Jesus comes back, if you're walking with Christ, you wake up and you die every day. Death is coming. There will come a day where we all have to face death. But in Christ, we wake up every day and we die. We die to ourselves. Luke 9, 23, Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Take up his cross daily, right? Remember Jesus carrying the cross on the way to the hill where he would die? And he's saying, you do the same. You do the same if you're going to follow me. I took up my cross and I carried it and I died. You get up every day, you deny yourself, and you pick up your cross. You die every day if you want to follow Christ. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said, the call to come to Christ is a call to come and die. right? To experience his death, to share in his sufferings, to say no to yourself and yes to God. That's what becoming a Christian is, right? Any of you who have become a Christian, who have given your life to Jesus, that moment is a denial of self in the biggest way possible and saying, I don't have it. I can't do it. I need God. I want God. I'm saying no to myself and yes to God. We die to ourselves every day. We wake up and we die to ourselves for the good of those around us. We die to ourselves every day for the good of our spouse, for the good of our children, for the good of those in our community. We die to ourselves every day because we're saying yes to God's commands when our flesh sometimes wants to do something opposite. We die. We die to ourselves every day to follow Christ. That's what it means. And so we, we want these two things to be in our minds constantly. Number one, are you ready for death? All you have to do is throw yourself on the mercy of Jesus. All you have to do is give your life to Jesus. And you can be ready and confident when it's your time to die. When are you going to die? You don't know. We have no idea. When's Jesus going to come back? We have no idea. Are you ready? Are you ready now? The day is today. Are you ready now? But you have that in your head. And then at the same time, we want to remember, but to follow Christ is no easy thing. It's no simple decision to follow Jesus. 
count the cost. Remember, Jesus told people during his ministry, you count the cost before you come and follow me. Because to follow me means to die to yourself, to take up your cross every day and follow me. It's no easy thing. So what will you do with it? What will you do with the Holy Spirit's word to your heart this morning? That's the question. We're going to spend a few moments here in just a second in silent prayer. That's where you can go, go to God and you can reckon with Him and you can face up to what He has put on your mind and heart today. And you can respond to Him. That's what we would ask you to do. Respond to the Lord in prayer here in just a moment. Every single one of us. Then after we have a time of private response and silent prayer, we'll come back. We'll have a time where those who need to respond to God's Word publicly can do so. So let's pray for a few moments together.